Welcome to the Libro Your Podcast, Therapy Libro Forum Project. I'm your host, Ricardo Silvestre. And today we have a special episode. I'm very happy to have on the podcast Nathan Albahari. Nathan is an MP in the Serbian Parliament and the International Secretary of the Liberal Party Movement of Free Citizens, or in Serbian, Pokret Slobodnia Gradna. And Nathan told me that I was saying this correctly. We talk about the promotion of liberal values, ideas, and policies in Serbia, the state of politics in that country, and the future of the relationship between the EU and Serbia, this aiming for an eventual full integration. This conversation was recording during the Alda Party Council meeting in Bratislava, where, by the way, the party movement of free citizens was accepted as a full member in the Alda Party family. So now, with no further ado, I bring you Nathan Albahari. here with Nathan Albariha. Nathan, thank you so much for coming to the podcast. Thank you very much for having me here. Oh, it's great to have you here. And we are at the Alda Party Council in Bratislava, which, by the way, congratulations for the party where you belong to, the Fridicens Movement, or also the Pokret Slobodny Gradana. Very good, yes. Oh, thank you. Very I've good. been practicing the whole morning. <laughs> you guys are now full members of the Alda Party, so congratulations for that from the beginning. Thank you very much. Uh, we we really appreciate the support we got. I think it was unanimous uh, support uh, in the council today, and it's something we've been working on for the past couple of years. So we're really looking forward to be part of the the liberal family in Europe. All right, we're going to talk about uh, PSG, not the football club, but the party. <laughs> uh, but before that, I want to you to go a little bit in the path you took to be here in the podcast with me today. You personally, what was the 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 decisions you made that made you be a politician and now here sitting, talking to me? Well, uh, we have to go a little bit back in time uh, when uh, when I decided to move back to Serbia. So just background, uh, I was born in, in Serbia, but uh, at uh, age of eight, I left with my family, we moved to Calgary, Canada. Oh, this was a ice hockey. <laughs> yes, I, are yes. you a ice hockey fan? <laughs> eh? <laughs> um, so, so we we li I lived there for uh, my whole childhood, elementary school, high school, university, and then I, after I graduated, I decided I wanted to come back to to Serbia. Uh, to Belgrade and work on, this was 2008, so to work on uh, Serbia's democratization process, reform process, and of course joining the, the European Union. Uh, so when I came back in 2008, uh, I expected of course that the process would go much faster, that everything would be completed sooner, uh, but uh, unfortunately things did not really go according to, to plan. I started working then at a think tank dealing with uh, Serbia's European integration, dealing with Serbia's foreign and security policy and working as, a, as an analyst and a program manager uh, at my think tank called International Security Affairs Center. And the, the more I was working in, in my think tank in civil society in general in Serbia, uh, and as we started after 2012, Aleksandar Vucic came to power, and we started sliding into um, autocracy, mm -hmm. autocratic rule, and moving away from European values, European principles, and, and, and the whole uh, democratic um, uh, way of running things, uh, I, I realized that there's only so much you can do from a think tank or from civil society. If you play an extremely important role as a corrective mechanism, as a watchdog organization, absolutely. But as the system 
uh, does not uh, want you there, as it considers civil society a, a sort of a, a bad actor, uh, I realized that if I really wanted to um, uh, to help Serbia move forward and uh, stay on its European path, I need to get involved. Um, need to get involved in politics. Hmm. So the quite interesting linear path. So you're in Canada. You felt like you had to move to your home country, well, at least the country where you were born. Yes. And then you decided to be a think tanker, and then you were like, this is not enough, I need to be a politician. Now you're actually a member of parliament. Yes. Yeah. That's quite a line. Where is this line taking you, <laughs> if you want to answer that question? I know it's a, it's a tricky question. Well, uh, we'll have to see. I mean, to be honest, I didn't 10 years ago. If you ask me, am I, am I going to run for <laughs> parliament, I probably would wouldn't have thought that that was the path I was going to take. I always wanted to be involved in the field that interests me the most, and this is the European Union mm -hmm. and getting Serbia into the European Union. But it seems now that for me, the best way to help is to be involved either from a uh, legislative perspective Or you never know, you know, if if uh, if PSG and, and we continue going uh, on a successful path and continue to grow, maybe one day in, in government as well. Well, But I'm going to do a prediction, and that is when Serbia is a full member of the European Union, I will be talking to you as an MEP, <laughs> an MEP from Serbia. What do you what do you think about that? That would uh, it would actually be a, a great honor for me if if something like that would happen. Uh, but first, let's get Serbia into EU. <laughs> I think that's the the our first and and biggest priority. And we're going to talk about that. But before, let's go a little more um, local, a little more granular, uh, promoting liberal values and ideas in Serbia. The work you guys been doing. Um, what are the difficulties? The more the biggest difficulties that you feel when you're trying to promote liberal values and ideas in your home country? Well, first off, the word liberal in Serbia is considered, mm. or, or the narrative around it is considered uh, a negative uh, concept. This stems mostly from uh, the, the reforms that were started in the, in the, partially in the 90s, but mostly in the 2000s, uh, when privatization and democratization began. There was a lot of corruption involved. A lot of people were left on the sidelines. Uh, we can't forget also that NATO uh, bombed in 1999. Uh, and there was the view that uh, liberalism was connected with, uh, with NATO, uh, with interventions, uh, with bad privatizations, with people losing their jobs, mm -hmm. and with a certain segment of the population being left behind. Mm -hmm. So keeping those, you know, that background in mind, uh, you were working against uh, a lot of forces in the country that, that consider you a, a bad actor, even though that some of the things you're fighting for was, would, would help everyone, uh, they don't, some people don't really, really see that. So in that sense, when we fight for liberal values in Serbia, uh, we have to make sure to, to address them in a way that won't cause a whiplash, And we have to sometimes be a little bit pragmatic and a little bit careful on, on which issue we're going to pick to deal with because there's only so much political capital we have and you can't deal with everything at once. So we try to build alliances. We try to build coalitions uh, from uh, also going back to civil society, from interest groups uh, to other political organizations, and now hopefully also with support that would come from uh, our European liberals and, and, and partners. This, this is a little bit of a wonky question, but... A I uh, ask for the indulgence of our listeners. There are the promotion of liberal values and then there are the promotion of liberal policies. And what you described, it's not 
that uncommon. Because, for example, my home country, we're not going to spend too much time think, talking about it, but neoliberal policies were the one that actually created a lot of backlash. Do you feel that in Serbia that conversation can happen easily, or do you think that still there's a lot of work to be done to say, hey, there are differences in liberalism, classic liberalism, neoliberalism, social liberalism, and you are a think tanker, so tell me your so, assessment of this. So there, there's work to be done because the people don't have time to think about whether it's new liberalism, classic liberalism, modern liberalism, social liberalism. Uh, they just hear the word liberalism. Yes. And it is up to us as politicians or think tankers to help redefine the term into what we believe uh, is the actual essence of it. So we want to distance ourselves from the neoliberal policies uh, of the 90s, which had a very, which can be characterized as, uh, you know, partially inhumane capitalism, as some yep. would, uh, would say it. Great expression. Uh, and we want, to, we want to deal with politics and liberalism in a humane way. That's why we consider ourselves a social liberal party. Uh, where we uh, want to put the individual at the at the forefront, and of course concentrate on individual rights and freedoms as the cornerstone mm -hmm. of a successful democratic society, but also to make sure that we have a strong social safety net uh, to make sure that people are not left behind mm -hmm. uh, either through reforms or the accession process, or what, whatever uh, may be. Mm. Well, it also comes down to also to narratives, but you're not afraid to use the term. So you'll go to the Serbia electorate and say, we are liberal social, we're social liberal. Social, yeah, we're social uh, liberals. Hold on, let me yeah. say that again. Three, two, one. Well, it also, as you correctly said it, it also depends on the narrative that you present to the electorate. But you're not afraid to use the term, which is, we are social liberals. Exactly. So you're not afraid to use the word liberals. No, no, and we use it, and we're, we use it very proudly. And we're very happy with that, and we're happy to engage in a discussion with citizens on the street, on, on television networks, on social media, when they ask about that. Wonderful. Nathan, one thing that we sometimes see in Serbia is uh, all kinds of rallies, people on the streets. And one thing I noticed, and this is more of a personal note, but I really want to know your opinion on this. It looks like there's a lot of young Serbs that hold regressive values. Is this something that could be easily changed? Is this a generational problem? Where are we on that? It's very unfortunate, and I can also share with you some uh, some surveys and statistics that, that we did, or that I used to do when I was uh, uh, fully in my think tank. Uh, it's unfortunate that uh, with the people under the age of 25, you will you can find a very high amount of Euroscepticism. Mm -hmm. You can find a very high amount of pro-Russian values. Uh, a pro-Russian sentiment. Uh, people the under 25 uh, really see Putin as, as a great uh, figure for whatever reason, <laughs> uh, which is extremely unfortunate because young people in a lot of places are considered you know, the progressive force, the future generations. Uh, you generally don't see younger people being this regressive force in mm -hmm. the majority. Usually it happens as you get older, you, um, but <laughs> not, not when, you're, when you're that young. So it, it is definitely a concern, and it is definitely something that we need to figure out a way to uh, talk uh, to these young people, whether that's for, by using uh, social media like Instagram, TikTok, uh, Facebook. I mean, Facebook is no longer for the young people. It's now these, uh, the older generations that, that use Facebook, which is still a useful tool for us, 
us. But it's if we want to reach the hearts and minds of uh, of young people, we have to use the platforms mm -hmm. and have to speak the language they understand the, the best. And you think that, of course, can never be 100%, but you think you have the message to, to reach those young Serbians and have them change their view a little bit? Well, at least maybe some of them. Uh, at the moment, uh, we recently uh, formed again our youth wing and we're starting to get along mm. of young people to, to join. Of course, these young people that are joining are considered progressive people, uh, especially, for example, uh, in the LGBT community. Mm -hmm. uh, they recognize PSG as a party that uh, will fight and, and defend uh, LGBT rights and, uh, and, and try to, um, as much as we can, to fight against the discrimination yeah. and the pressures in society that uh, the LGBT population faces and we're very happy that a lot of young people in the community have recognized PSG as a safe place and as an organization that uh, the, that will help you know defend mm -hmm. their uh, their rights so once we uh, as we start to expand and grow uh, and a different communities and, and different young people start join us we can then through them and their connections yeah. and their social media profiles some of these people we, we have some uh, some guys who have tens of thousands of followers on on TikTok uh, or Instagram, and I think that's a great way uh, to uh, to share our message because I don't know how, if it is the same in in other places, but uh, we have seen in Serbia that uh, micro exchanges, uh, people on a one to one level yep. or or people who share in small communities, has a much bigger impact than you getting an advertisement uh, on television or you giving a speech in in Parliament. It's much more uh, useful for people within their uh, communities, within their own groups of friends, to share the positive message, to share positive uh, experience that they had with, with you as an individual or politician or a party. And I think that way we can, we can grow. And then we can try to reach uh, these other groups who, who, who are currently have, unfortunately, um, a, a different view of, uh, of, of the world. And the, here, dear listeners, is how you do politics with data. Now, let's go a little more macro and let's talk about what's happening in your home country and a little bit about the influence of China and Russia in Serbia. We know what are the incentives, uh, we know what are the rewards. My question to you, we're not going to go into that with detail, but how can presenting practical benefits of being the European Union can compete with those carrots that the Chinese and the Russians are, are showing at the end of the stick? Well, I think the easiest way to answer that is to say, look at a map and look <laughs> where China is and even look where Russia is and then look where Serbia is and where Europe is. Um, it, it, it doesn't make any sense for you, for us, for Serbia geographically to be an island in the middle of Europe uh, and that we're now having these strategic relations with, with China. I mean, first off, how can a country of six, six and a half million be a strategic partner of a country of mm -hmm. over 1.1 is a 1.2 billion people. Uh, the size of Serbia is the size of a small town in in, in China. Just in, in comparison of the of of the two of the two powers, and of course you know uh, the uh, 
the way the Chinese model works, where they sometimes you take out loans from their banks to provide yeah. construction projects. Uh, you can't pay the loans, then they uh, take away various properties. And like we had in Montenegro, an issue uh, when the government wasn't able to pay back the loans. Thankfully, in that case, the European Union stepped in, which was a very smart decision mm -hmm. uh, to to help you know a future member state stay stay connected with the the European family. So in this sense, I think people understand, uh, or if they don't, I think they choose them purposely not to understand. Also, I have to note, we have to understand that there is uh, a lot of uh, propaganda, mm -hmm. a lot of uh, misinformation, disinformation coming, coming into Serbia from both Chinese and Russian sources. It does not help that in Serbia we uh, have a very limited free press, and a lot of the media is controlled by or influenced by the state. Mm -hmm. So through these channels, you have an easier way of getting uh, Chinese messages or Russian messages entering the Serbian public sphere. This is also not helped by a government that is uh, sending these pro-Russian and Chinese messages uh, and the support in the population of those who view China uh, as a friend is uh, almost at over... Uh, at or just above 90%, mm. and Russia is over 80%. So these are, are troubling statistics. The good thing is that with a um, with a information campaign where people uh, are, t are told the actual facts and realize that, for example, over 600,000 jobs in Serbia depend on EU companies, uh, companies who are coming from the EU and investing, where... Uh, trade with the European Union on a yearly level is 35 billion euros a year, compared with Russia, which is just over 2 billion, and with China, which is 6 billion. Uh, you know, you can't compare with these with these numbers. And once I think people are, are have a better understanding of it, they will naturally uh, be more inclined to say, well, look, you know, the, the European path is, is the correct path. I may not agree with everything of it, but at the end of the day, uh, my economic well-being, my salary, my job, and my ability to provide for my family will come from Europe, not from, from Russia or from China. Great point, and I'm sure that is on the agenda of your party. Nathan, changing gears a little bit now, um, Serbia has been a candidate to member state for a lot of time now. Uh, there's our con continuous discussions, I know, between uh, Brussels and uh, Belgrade. How do you see the process going? In particular, of course, your party now is on the opposition, but still you have a voice, still you can influence the system. But how can this system be influenced if the main actors, the main political actors, are playing this shell game between uh, Serbia and, and the European Union? Well, you said a longer shell game where, you know, declaratively they continually talk about how Serbia has to join the EU, how that's a strategic choice of Serbia to join the EU. But then through actions, they uh, don't they don't do the homework or even they will may, maybe implement the laws. But the the essence behind the laws is missing, or the the values are missing, or the statements and the messages that come from the government are not in line with a country that wants to join the the European Union. Mm -hmm. So in that sense, they try this balancing act of playing several sides uh, at once, and but. I, I don't think that's gonna, it's not gonna be successful anymore. It was to a certain point. Unfortunately, certain stakeholders in Europe and certain parties and, and member states uh, 
fostered good relations with, with Vucic, some naively hoping that having good relations with Vucic will force him to change and will actually help Serbia move forward. Uh, I think that's that's in this, um, especially after Russia's invasion of Ukraine, I think that, that illusion has been shattered and that we uh, can clearly now see the, uh, the values that the, that the current Vucic regime uh, represents and that they're not in line with some of these member states or other political forces in Europe thought that they, uh, they would be. Uh, so on one hand, yes, the process has taken a long time. Uh, and, and one of the re so two, two main reasons for that. One is, is, we can say, Serbia's fault for not doing our homework uh, fast enough, not doing uh, the homework the way it's supposed to be done, and emitting the, the signals that we really want to be part of the European family. But I do have to say, on the other hand, there's also um, some issues regarding Europe itself and the European yes. Union approach to enlargement, uh, which at times has been ambiguous mm -hmm. and not clear signals on whether enlargement is going to happen and to what extent it will it will happen. And a lot of wrong signals have been coming from Brussels in, in that uh, regard as well. I think, but let's see, you know, time will tell. I think Brussels understands the point a bit better. Uh, especially the European Parliament seems to have gotten the, the, the message in the past couple of years. Uh, the Commission, of course, the Commission always has to have a balancing act between all the member <laughs> states and all the institutions, and definitely it's not an easy job that, that they have. But I hope that in the next period, uh, if enlargement is to go through, and I'm a, a big supporter of that, of course, uh, it will be done uh, correctly, and that it will actually be a mechanism that can entice positive change, not only in Serbia, but the whole Western Balkans region. That is a very important point, and we're going to stay here a little more, because if that change happens, and we hope all of us Europeans that care about our friends in the Western Balkans and Serbia included, that integration, and you have valid criticisms of the European Union. Perfectly fine, we're not, uh, I'm not gonna argue with you on that because there are some mistakes and you already pointed some. But you on the ground, you and your party working for this change, how can we make it then happen exactly to convince the electorate, convince the institutions that democratization, liberal democracy, this is the main goal. Do you feel, and we were just talking about resistance a minute ago, do you think that institutionally this will also be very hard to do or Serbia is ready to give that final step? I think at the moment it's gonna be very hard because what we're facing in Serbia right now is something that's called state capture. Mm -hmm. And uh, for those who might not know, state capture is a term that's now been uh, heavily uh, used um, in, in the region when uh, certain uh, regimes basically take over independent yeah. institutions sure. and use it not for the interest of the country, but for the interest of the party or a small group of people who are running, running the country. Uh, something we, we saw in North Macedonia before the changes a couple of years ago, something we currently see uh, in Hungary, mm -hmm. uh, something we started to see in Poland, and of course what we see in, in Serbia, partially Bosnia, Herzegovina, and, uh, and up until recently in, in Montenegro as well. When that happens, it, it becomes really tricky mm -hmm. because, let's say, institutions at the European level that need to cooperate with institutions at the Serbian level, uh, you have this institution to institution, like the parliament yeah. to parliament cooperation. 
but at the same time, uh, the uh, the parliament or the courts or whichever other in, in independence you should need to be there are not really doing their job because they're in the service of a party or a small clique not thinking progressively on, on the interests of, of their country. So it's it is it, it's a very complicated and difficult situation, difficult to answer that question, uh, because if you say, okay, we support the institutions, but they're captured, then you're in a way supporting also the current uh, regime, uh, which is undermining the whole process to begin with. But per if, perfectly put. <laughs> but if you don't, um, if, if you go against that, then you have to say, well, look, then we have to maybe pause the, the accession process. But that's also not a good, a good thing to do because once that's paused, it's very difficult to start it up again. And we don't want to have another 10 years of, of being on the sidelines. So I think the best way to, to move forward would be, again, some finding some sort of balance, but would be uh, to, dis uh, to put differentiation between the government and the governing party and the institutions themselves, and to somehow put pressure on the governing party that they need to change and need to reform their ways. Otherwise, the support will be cut off. Mm -hmm. And when I say support, I mean here uh, the, the funding that comes and it's being used. Yeah. Serbia at the moment, as many other countries, is facing economic difficulties and financial challenges. Uh, any government that's autocratic in form uh, needs to have a strong economy to provide for its citizens and for its clientele base. If you don't have that, then their support starts to starts to erode. So I would, I don't want to, you know, say argue for something that's going to Im negatively impact the lives of of everyday citizens. But if it does happen, I think that is it is the fault of the current government yes. actually not caring for the consequences, actions, statements, and, and, and policies that it will have towards the, uh, the citizens in the country. Yeah, that's a repeated, that's a very great point, Nathan. And that is a repeated conversation, not only on this podcast, but on many outlets, which is try not to punish the people on the street because they're just trying to live their lives and they have European values and European aspirations, but try to hit what it hurts, which is the ruling class and their interests, unless they do such a bad job that they, they're kicked out by the voters and they will put PSG in the government that we, we're hoping. So we we'll hope be, so too. <laughs> <laughs> we'll be following this uh, structural reforms very closely with our friends from Serbia. And as we are running out of time, and I thank you so much for talking to me, tell how can people follow you and uh, the party online and get more interested in the future of Serbia. So we have uh, several channels, uh, of course, uh, depending on, on what, what, which, which people use uh, what platforms. We're on Facebook. Uh, we uh, are on Twitter as, as a party and also all of us individually. Mm -hmm. uh, you can find us on, on Twitter. We are, um, uh, although uh, when you put PSG, sometimes you're going to get the football club. Uh, <laughs> so maybe it's always best That's to use... That's a scourge. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Which sometimes helps. Sometimes uh, well, Sometimes helps. it can help, yes. Uh, but uh, usually using our Serbian acronym POKRET. Pokret Slobodnik, which means uh, a move, move, freedom movement, uh, that that will, will uh, connect you to to PSG. We're also on Instagram, uh, 
Uh, and uh, we're ho hopefully beginning to get more active on TikTok uh, as well. So lots of ways. We also have a website, of course, but I think websites have become really uh, mm. old-fashioned. Well, no? <laughs> people can know more about it. I'm sure there'll be stuff there so that people can read and, and get interested. Uh, you're on TikTok? I'm not personally. No, right. but our, our, our party is, it's not a very good right now <laughs> TikTok for a profile, but, but hopefully we're going we're gonna to get it uh, get it up and running as, as need be. That'll be the next conversation between <laughs> the two of us. Well, I'm going to put all these links on the podcast show notes. I've been talking with Nathan Albaria. This was amazing. Thank you so much for coming to the podcast. We will be following your work and the work of your party and the future of Serbia with great interest and Let's keep this conversation going. But for now, thank you so much for spending time with me. Thank you, Ricardo, very much for, for this invitation. And uh, I look forward to, to our next meeting. I'm back. Just to remind you that you can find this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher. And if you feel like it, give us a five-star review. In that way, you can help us spread even more liberal values and ideas. And this is all for now. I'll be back soon with more podcasts. Until then, let's keep making the world a better place. This podcast is produced by the European Liberal Forum, co-founded by the European Parliament, and have the support of the social liberal movement Think Tank in Portugal and Liberté Foundation in Poland. The views expressed herein are those of the speakers alone, and these views do not necessarily reflect those of the European Parliament and or the European Liberal Forum.